Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast describing the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster. I write the comic Kadoja in addition to reviewing horror books and horror comics on my blog, Probing the Depths. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders Melisanda from The Accidental Aliens. Yeah, man. Here we are. Here we are another another week. Um, now's a good time to mention something here that uh, we're actually on a weekly cadence now. I don't, I don't mind letting people behind the curtain a little bit because uh, in our first couple episodes, you know, we obviously had more things to talk about because it would be like, what'd you do over this last life? Yeah. What'd you do over this last three weeks or whatever it was, right? Because we had more to talk about. But we are we are truly weekly now and we're truly doing weekly updates. So to that point, man, uh, what'd you do last week? Uh, so, okay, so along those lines, I felt like my performance last week wasn't up to snuff to my to my liking. Um, you guys probably didn't notice it, but I felt like I was jumping a little bit, and I felt pretty focused in the first few episodes. And I think that is because, like you said, we had basically a lifetime to catch the audience up on, um, and so I wanted to remedy that. And so what I did was, well, obviously had things to do, but to make for an interesting episode. Um, I brushed up on my lettering. How, tell, tell me, tell me what brushing up entails. Well, I uh, we got into it a little bit last episode um, that I was going to be doing the lettering for the second shift issue eleven. What I've done before was just kind of the dialogue and um, like site location stuff like that, and and that stuff's pretty basic. Um, but this week I was getting into uh, sound effects and uh, different types of word balloons. So the word balloons that I've done previously were just the standard oval, kind of like, not complete oval, like you kind of smash smash down the tops and the bottoms or whatever. You kind of get the shapes that you want uh, for your particular balloons. And uh, so that's, that's what I've done previously. And I needed to learn how to do uh, radio effect balloons. And I also needed to learn how to do um, sound effects. And those are two things I've never done before. So one of the best places to uh, learn how to do those things is YouTube. And it, it's if you don't know how to letter, I highly recommend looking for uh, Scott McCloud's lettering YouTube videos. That's where I learned the primary stuff, the basics, uh, was, was his videos. They're very clear, concise, uh, very simple uh, compared to other ones that I've, I've watched uh, previously. And so after learning the basics from him, um, which also, by the way, I got I to go to a, a, a speaking engagement by him where he was talking comics and I got to meet him after the show or after the engagement. And I got to tell him, uh, thank you. Thank you for teaching me how to letter. And he was like, Oh, you actually watched those. I was wondering if anyone watched them. And I was like, dude, you're responsible for me learning how to letter. So that was pretty cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. I actually, I saw Scott McCloud give a great presentation. I think it was like the 25th anniversary of understanding comics, maybe at Comic-Con a year or two ago. Mm. And uh, yeah, just great. He's at the time, and I don't think it's out yet. For those of you that out there that got the Comic-Con program, it is almost a line for line retelling of that. All he did was load that into a PowerPoint, speak to it, and then maybe, you know, elaborate. A little bit. Yeah. That, but um, that's what he was. I think he was doing the same thing with us. Yeah. I mean, that's fine. You know, like he's, uh, you know, the anecdotes he told, uh, you know, off the dome were 
every bit as interesting as as the prepared material and stuff. So yeah, it's all good. Whatever whatever works for anybody in terms of public speaking, I say go for it. But the thing that was fascinating is that at the time he was working on this book about signs, about sign edge. No, that's what ours confusing. was on. That's what our was our our engagement was on. He was speaking a lot about it and it was so fascinating. Like he was he was showing uh, us really complicated signs uh compared to a very, um, it was just much like speaking, there's clean and concise ways. Like the way his lettering video was, he showed us how complicated they had made the sign. And here's the best way to do the sign with visual storytelling. Yeah. And it was just, it was, yep, it was I, so I may have gotten better. that same thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was, it was yeah, really great. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. And, and to your point of Scott McCloud, I've got, uh, I've got making comics almost near the top of my, uh, to do file in terms of reading just because I haven't read it in so long. I think I, I have a little mini goal of getting all three of his kind of making comics trilogy books and uh, and going through them again just because they're they're great. They're great to reread a lot. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're, they're the kind of thing where every time you go through them, you know more and yet you understand more and something else unlocks a little bit more for you every time. Yeah, so, yeah absolutely. Just amazing yep. Stuff. Yep. I know. I know that exact thing um, when it comes to like watching videos on Photoshop, it's like the first time you go on, okay, you're, you're picking this technique up. And then the next time you go on, you're like, yeah, yeah, skip this part. I know this part already. And um, so you're just building your well of knowledge uh, every time you reread a book or watch a, a tutorial or something like that. And um, that's that's what I was doing this week. I was uh, looking for very specific word bubbles and it was kind of crazy that I found them. Um, yeah, so the, so the word bubble I was looking for was very specific and they had it and it's, it's the best way to describe it is a squiggly line in each quadrant of a, of a standard word bubble. And I just so happened to find this video where this guy was like, Oh, how to make a radio wave word bubbles. And I'm like, this is the most random video I have ever seen. And I'd even punch that in. I just wrote, yeah. uh, illustrator comic book word uh, word bubbles and i ended up finding mm-hmm. it so it's kind of wild um so was that was that this radio balloon that you mentioned earlier is this the thing you were talking about i wrote it down yes 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 so okay. um that that was really interesting and there was a couple of different techniques and the third one was the one i was looking for exactly and i hadn't seen anyone else do it really on google like i i was looking up images and and just any kind of way to find this and I randomly found it on YouTube. So he showed three different techniques and I implemented two of them. And uh, after that, I needed to figure out how to do sound effects and uh, found a couple of videos on those. And uh, it's been fun, man. It's been a learning process. It's kind of, I can feel my old brain kind of like the gears going again. It's like, oh yeah, we haven't used this in a while, you know? So what do you use that for though? I'm, I'm trying to envision this particular bubble that has like a, an electricity feel in maybe the top and bottom quadrants, I guess. Is it is it meant to signify a radio broadcast? Yes. Is that, or it's it's the four cardinal directions, right? North, South, East, West on a word mm-hmm. bubble. Yeah, um, yeah, and, okay, and, gotcha. and exactly, you got it right. It's uh, the radio of the, the superheroes' vans in the second shift. So the first couple of pages uh, of issue 11 are a radio playing while a guy's pumping some gas. And I was like, I need to figure out these word bubbles. And uh, I found them and knocked them out. And they were pretty easy, actually. Um, And actually, we'll provide 
some links in in this uh, description of this this podcast, so you guys can check yeah. those out um, if that'll help you out to see what I'm talking about, and we'll uh, even attach the Scott McLeod ones as well. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you were you were basically just working on lettering craft, is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, and I actually lettered uh, the first half of issue eleven. So this this particular issue, I did Marvel method. Um, I guess it would be like modified Marvel method. It's more of like Jack Kirby's method, I would think, since he was the artist and writer in DC. Um, so what he usually do for Stan is Stan would give him the basic plot, and he would just kind of create the whole story and then Stan in post would go back and enter the dialogue. And so when I'm writing for myself, I'm, I'm kind of doing the same thing. I'm just thinking of the story mentally and acting it out visually. And then after the fact, I fill in the dialogue. So it's an easier process for me. It's like, I, I basically know what the characters are saying and doing, but uh, I fill it in after the fact. And, and so right now it's just getting the right wording, putting it in the right spots and uh, going from there. So I'm, I'm at the halfway mark, and I even managed to uh, hit up a buddy who's uh, ex-military. He actually works for Marvel in the... Um, he's kind of a... St- he's a stuntman, actually, for a lot of Marvel uh, movies and TV shows. Mm. And um, so he does a lot of military scenes for them because, you know, he has the background in it and everything. And I hit him up for some dialogue. And I was like, hey, man, so... What would a soldier who was in the midst of battle, a losing battle, how would he call that into command? What type of dialogue would he use uh, when calling in to, to command? And so it was pretty cool um, just getting information from him and uh, what he thought a soldier would say in that in, you know, instant. And uh, so I, I took the majority of it and I kind of tweaked it, you know, made it my own. So, but but that was really cool. Uh, something I've never done before. Can you can you give me one taste? Can can you give me one example of that? The or maybe the one you found most interesting, or one that just stuck out? Yeah, I'll um, let me grab that. I got his I got his text right here. So in this scene, basically the soldier and his whole platoon is getting decimated. Uh, it's, it's basically a massacre, and so he needs to call in to find out what's the plan of attack here. What what he should do. And uh, so what he recommended was uh, strike units to command, strike units to command. It's a total snafu or massacre out here. Alpha unit has been eliminated. Our weapons are useless. Please advise. I say again, please advise. This is turning into a fucking slaughter. So that that was his. And I was like, hell yeah. Nice. Yeah, I was like, I dig that. Nice. So I used, I used a nice. good chunk of that. Nice. I tweaked some stuff just to kind of make it my own, but I didn't want to get too far away from it. Just because I was like, dude, that's perfect. And, you know, he was in the military, so he knows what he's talking about. So, Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can I can actually, I, I want to jump in on, on that note real quick, which is um, in in the novel that I currently have on the shelf, because it's, it's kind of in between drafts three and four, um, I got some notes, this was probably about a year ago, maybe, on the dialect not quite sounding right. And, uh, you know, I, I don't I, I really don't like talk. I have this weird thing about about talking about work in progress, because even though, you know, the adage is there are no new ideas under the sun, et cetera, et cetera. I just hate mentioning my my ideas. You know, people who listen closely to this podcast will notice that if something isn't out by me yet, I, I'm just very minimalist in how I describe it. 
right? So I'm going to stick to that here. And I'm just going to say that I had a regional dialect that, uh, that I was told just did not work and sounded too American. Mm-hmm. Um, or if anything, sounded in a wrong like country, it was a, it was a couple countries off. Turns oh, out, okay. And uh, so, so all I did was listen to. Oh, I mean, we're, I'm I'm going to go with two weeks of podcasts that were all by people who are uh, American, you know, English speaking mm-hmm. from that country, right? And uh, and 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 I I really broke it down. You know what I mean? Like they do this, they tend to use this word, they tend to do that. You know, like okay, this makes sense. And then sure enough, after some point, it got internalized, and I I like to think it came out pretty well. Oh, good man, that's that's freaking awesome. Same thing. It's research, right? I mean, sometimes you know, the, I think this is a good example of two things, right? Sometimes you have an expert that you can rely on. You know, I don't, I couldn't really think offhand of of friends in the in the military or or former military. Actually, I I do now that I think about it. But you know, there the bottom line is there are examples where you you can think of that kind of person, and then there's examples when you can't. But man, there's so many resources out there. You know, YouTube videos, like you said, or podcasts, or anything. There's just there's just a bunch of ways to get what you want if you know where to look. Yeah, absolutely. I was gonna I was gonna suggest that as well. It's like yeah, if you didn't have someone from a particular region, you can look that up on YouTube easy enough. You know, it's just like yeah. listen to the dialogue for a while. Um, but there's just different ways to skin the cat. You know, like your way is very it's good for you because you wouldn't necessarily need to keep tapping that source, especially yeah. if it was, um, you know, it was like a character you always had to write. You know, if, if that character was just in your story all the time, I think you went the best possible way about it. Um, mm-hmm. whereas mine is, it's literally two pages with the soldier and then, then they're done. So it's like, okay, well, let me just, I got a couple of buddies that used to be in the military and, um, they're both stuntmen now. Um, it's so funny. I, they both know each other and, and we all know each other separately and differently. Like I don't, I didn't meet them at the same time. It's, it's kind of wild, but yeah, so, so it was really cool. Uh, just hitting him up. And just kind of picking his brain a little bit. And uh, I was like, hey, so would would they even have this type of uh, technology? Because I have like a soldier shooting a gun, but I also want him calling into base as he's doing it. And um, I was like, hey, is there a headset where he wouldn't necessarily need to be pushing a button? And he goes, yeah. There, And he sent me photos. He goes, yeah, these, you know, if you're in this, you're going to have this type. If you're going to have in this branch, you're going to have this type. So, um I was like, okay, cool. So at least I know now it's a possibility that he can be shooting this gun and calling into base. So um, that that fixed the first problem. Because I was like, okay, if he tells me it doesn't exist, then he just basically has to be talking to the villain at this point. Yeah. And um, But since he did, it, it helped a lot. So it added some dialogue to the page and, uh, you know, gave some realness to it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so halfway done and um, I'll finish the other half. Uh, by Friday, Saturday, I want to say, and then I'll shoot it over to Ed, who's my writer, and he's going to give it a look over. Uh, he's my normal writer. In this in this case, um, I'm doing kind of both jobs, so he's going to kind of act as an editor mm-hmm. and uh, you know check it out, check out the first pass, and give me some notes and see what I can arrange. Potentially do a little rewriting, and uh, we'll go from there. So, but uh, yeah, that's that's it for me this week. What did you end up doing? Well, hold it before before we get to me. I need to pause on something that you mentioned earlier, which is you weren't pleased with your episode three performance, right? Yes. So if your episode three performance was a, was a, was a performance from a past dunk contest, 
which performance would it be? I'm just I'm just curious as to where you rate yourself here. <laughs> a pass dunk contest. Yeah, yeah. Are you are you thinking it was like like sort of flat, like I don't know, like Nate Robinson in two of the three years he won, or are you thinking it was like Birdman Anderson level? You know what I mean? Like I would say Nate Robinson in, in like the second year that he won, where yeah. it was a little flat. I would yeah. say that I wasn't displeased overly with myself. I just felt like I was a little all over the place. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. it's like when you're watching your team and you, you guys win, you win the game, but it was a sloppy game. It's like, yeah, it was fine. You know, it's just like, it could have been cleaned up, but yeah, a win's a win's a win, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's funny. Um, Cause I was actually thinking that when I listened back to the podcast where you complained about Danny green and you said, man, we would have won in five if it weren't for Danny green. It's like, you won the title. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> but we would have won it sooner, Keith. But we, <laughs> I would have had those extra two days in my life to not have to think about anything. Right? Well, we were wearing the Mamba jerseys; they would have been unblemished. But Danny Green screwed us. I see. I see. The, such the, such a Laker fan. Danny such Green greater fan. than greater than the Mamba jersey. <laughs> such a complaining Laker fan. Yeah, I hear you. I hear yeah. you. Um, so yeah, man. Yeah. In in terms of what um, I did over the past week, I'm I'm gonna start. I'm gonna kind of. It's a couple disparate things. I, actually, before I get to that, one one other before I get to that, which is yeah. it's pretty natural in in the world of comic. I I know what you're saying. You kind of have this whole like, man, the past week just was was more miscellaneous debris kind of week as opposed to having a real focus to it. But I also mm-hmm. think that's pretty natural as opposed yeah. to, I did this, I did 15 pages, I wrote six novels. You know what I mean? Like whatever yeah. it's going to be, right? Yeah, and, it's true. And this gets back to the the main point too, that it it, I, it kind of equate this um, to, I, I don't know if, if we've ever talked about this you know offline before, the sketch comedy is where I think it's the worst, right? Where where you'll have some sketch comedy show. So let's say, I don't know, uh, In Living Color to date myself yet again, right? Like a classic sketch comedy show. And there's always a sketch comedy show somewhere, right? right. But the interesting thing about season one and maybe season two of this sketch comedy show is that season is actually the summation of years of that group of people honing their craft, right? It is... Mm-hmm. It is the the sum total of their first batch of years, because we all know people don't just get a sketch comedy show and then just do like a year worth of skits in in a month. You know what I mean? Like this is material they've honed, they've crafted, they've perfected, they've thrown stuff out, they've done whatever. Right. So guess what happens when it get renewed for when it gets renewed for second, third season? (laughs) Now, what are we going to do? Now they got to write it. Now they got to write it and perform it and do whatever. So I think there's always this erosion of quality that naturally happens with uh, with sketch comedy. I, I think it happens with a lot of things. I read some article that talked about how bands tend to have that too, right? Where their debut album is the result of years and years of building material. And their second album is what they've written since then, which can mm-hmm. get awfully tricky. Right. So yeah, yep. I it's I think we have a little bit of that effect in that episode zero and episode one were more like a, a culmination, a summation of stuff we had done before, where now mm-hmm. we're going to week to week and it's going to happen sometimes, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, and see, and I was locked and loaded for those first couple of episodes because I was like, OK, well, I got boom, I got Drawtober and oh, hey, well, you know, before Drawtober, there's that Kickstarter I did and then fulfilling all those rewards. And I was like, OK, cool. I got a couple episodes and it's just like. Oh, the Kickstarter, that was a full month's worth of work. 
and as was the Drawtober. So then episode three was like, well, I did a couple of things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but I will, I will say this before I, I completely kick it over to you. Um, it helped a lot that episode three, like the way I felt after the episode was like, I can do better. And so for this episode, I wanted to make sure I had a focus coming in. And uh, that was, that was lettering. And I was like, you know what? Let me learn some stuff because yeah. that's something I can talk about on the podcast. For one, makes the podcast better. Two, makes my books better and I'm learning more. So it's like, wow, I'm, I'm actually improving myself as a comic creator trying to find new material for the podcast. So it's pretty awesome. Totally. 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 Yeah. I'm with you. And that, that right. serves as a nice segue into the first little bit of, of business I did, which is I got a test page back from a letterer that uh, that I'm that I'm planning on working with for the the majority of so basically the balance of the third arc of Kadoja. And we mm-hmm. we did have a version of this conversation last week, but since then I've gotten the page back. I loved it. And to your point, like I, I while I appreciate that you're um you know developing new skills and things like that, for me, there are times when I'm really more into the streamlining of the skills, right? Where I'm just like for me, there is a little bit more value to paying a letterer than there is to doing it myself. And last week I mentioned that, you know, the, I believe I mentioned the idea of editing on the fly as you letter is both a blessing and a curse. And Mm -hmm. so the decision I am making is get it right the first time, send it off to a letterer and be done. Right. And, uh, and I feel very, very liberated by that. And in fact, um, for a couple hours today, um, you know, while we're recording this, I actually went back through the, let's call it the uh, 12th issue overall, Kadoja Volume 3, Volume 2, or Number 2 is technically what it's called, but basically the issue 2 of this arc script to make sure I love it and it's it's as spot perfect as I can get it so that I can send it off to the letterer and get it back and just be done with it, right? And, and again, I find that very liberating. Just go over it now, get it right because you're not going to get another chance. And uh, and so I actually did a lot of that today. I'll give it another quick pass tomorrow. Again, this is stuff I've written a long time ago and I feel generally pretty good about, but a little bit more editing um, did not hurt today. And, uh, and then tomorrow I'll, I'll send it all off and, and uh, we'll wait, right? Which is, which is pretty great. Yeah. And I, I will say though, uh, I'm with you on the streamlining the process because there is times where I'm like, okay, there's an overabundance of work on this issue and I will pass this along to someone else that has the time. And that, especially if your channel's backing up. So if you've got like, like me, for instance, it's like, okay, well, I have to finish drawing the rest of this issue. So I don't have time to worry about the lettering because the rest of the issue needs to be finished. So in that yeah. instance, I, I would for sure pay someone. Uh, this one, this issue specifically, it's just too easy to do on my own to pass to someone else. It's like, yep. I can't justify paying someone to uh, letter this book just like how I was like okay I can't justify paying my flatter to flat the rest of this book if my goddaughter doesn't do it you know it's like I'll do it myself it'll take it'll take me literally three hours to do all of the pages so uh, but yeah yeah I hear you on the streamline no I'm with you and and this kind of goes into I suppose the reason behind the idea of of getting these pages um, lettered the, the way I was leaning when we talked last episode has basically been sort of finalized in my mind, which is that I do plan on going straight to trade for the third arc of Kadoja. And so the things I'm doing now have more of a Kickstarter, 
you know, February kind of timeline idea to them. You know what I mean? Oh, where right they, where yeah. they would go up. And obviously when you do the Kickstarter, you're you're not going to promise delivery of the book upon completion of the Kickstarter. There's still a long ways to go. But again, issues one through three are written. It's just a matter of getting two and three lettered and then going with the art and the inks and all the letters on four. And then that's the arc, right? But um, and you said the art is complete on the first three as well, right? That is correct. Yeah, yeah. The art is the art is complete. That was the other thing I was going to ask you. Um, but but since that that answers my question, the question was going to be: um, Do you take one more pass at the script after you receive the art? Um, because I know Ed does that as well. Sometimes I'll change something and, that he hadn't thought about, or I added. Um, you know, and it's like, well, I actually want to add this dialogue here. Um, and then, so he'll kind of rework it or whatever. So, uh, is that something you also do? It, I think this is, this goes back a little bit to a, a prior conversation where, you know, I, I, you and Ed's relationship is more collaborative, right? And that, that harkens more back to what Rory and I's relationship was in terms of me throwing the script over the fence, me getting a version of that script back that was somewhere between 91 and 98% faithful, and then me just looking at it objectively and asking, does it work, right? In mm-hmm. this case, the artist I've worked with so far has basically been a, what you put on the page is how I'm doing it, right? There has not been a real interest in taking personal license or creative license with anything other than how to interpret the panel, how to interpret how I mentioned the panel. So as a result, it's not, it's not making me really think I need to tweak any dialogue, if that makes sense. You know, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's perfectly sculpted to how I wrote it. And it's just a matter of whether the dialogue, whether, you know, because now it's all dialogue, right? The action is now pictures, so it's really about whether the dialogue works. And um, and in, in uh, on the whole, it was good. But again, I changed probably you know eight to ten percent of it, something like that. Just just a nip here, a tuck there. The realization that you can say in one word balloon what you'd said in three sometimes. Um, and, and do you just give your artist? Uh, I'm sorry. Do you do you give your artist full script? Do you let him uh, read the the dialogue between the characters as well? Yes. Okay. Yes. I was wondering if that was any different. Yeah, that's you know me and Ed do the same thing. But I was I was curious if you were just giving him descriptors of the panels or just uh, uh, full on full on what to do and what they're saying. Yeah, I have, and I'll be frank i have very little idea what the hell i'm doing and stuff like that right like everything i need everything i learned about writing a comic script i learned from the power sketchbook right which which i think i think bendis was one of the guys that first started this and and perhaps i'm wrong but uh with the idea of and i think he used to do it back in powers and maybe even a little bit before that i sort of remember powers being the one where at the end of an issue he might give you like two pages of a script and then let you see the process, which I thought was Mm. amazing and served as really good insight. In fact, it shows when writers would come up and just start wanting to talk and be like, Hey, you know, I'm interested in doing my own thing. Where do I start? And I'm like, find stuff by Brian Michael Bendis and see what you can do. Right. And, and based on that, because Brian Michael Bendis really did, if you know where to look, provide some some nice roadmaps for writers and that was before the powers like again i think it's called the power script book which is like the entire first arc in screenplay format in comic play format whatever you want to call it right so okay 
I yeah, was, so I was I curious just, what that was when you had mentioned it. I'm like, what is that? Yeah. What is he talking about? But you're yeah. literally talking about the comic book powers. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah. And, and again, that's, I'm, that's I'm pretty, pretty sure it's called the, the powers script book, right? That allows it. And there are plenty of people that do that now. It is not hard to find other versions of it. And I might be giving Bendis a little bit too much credit, you know, but uh, but all I know is that's where I started and it was a good place to start. And so I copied that style to an extent without the need, you know, in some cases, writers like to call the shots. Um, My personal preference is, and I think everybody knows what that means, right? Like uh, angle. So it would be like medium shot, medium panel, wide angle, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when it came to Rory by the, in the first arc, it would be, I was pretty granular by the second arc. It was just like Rory draw the monsters fighting for five pages and yeah. put this dialogue in there. You know what I mean? Like that's that's how loose it got and it came out great. But now I'm back to that medium panel, tight angle, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And it, so that reminds me of a story with Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo on Batman. Um, so for years, Greg Capullo has been working with Todd McFarlane over on Spawn. And basically Todd was working as loose as possible with Greg, a, a very loose Marvel method saying basically, um, okay, on the first three pages, these characters are having a conversation. This is the setting, uh, by the end of the third page, this needs, all this stuff needs to have happened. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, then, okay, these next five pages, it's a spawn versus the violator, the end, all these things need to happen. And so Greg was so used to working that style for years that when he got to Snyder, Snyder was working the very tight, you know, panel one, you know, page one, panel one, uh, like, like exactly like you're saying. And they did not get along. Coppola's like, hey, man, you need to chill out. Uh, just let me do my thing, you know, and like Coppola's this, this, you know, metal artist and he's just. He's like, hey, man, just uh, tell me what's going on and I'll, I'll handle the rest. And they did not get along uh, to the point where Snyder uh, was talking to DC about finding a different artist. Interesting. And then they're, yeah, and then they're like, no, 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 you guys work this out because Capullo is a, a fucking rock star. You guys need to figure it out. Yeah. Um, they're thick as thieves now. Uh, Snyder learned how to loosen the reins and that he would get something better out of Capullo specifically if you let him work this method, because yeah. he's going to think of panels, um, angles, just uh, compositions you'd never would have thought of. You know, he's yeah. going to give you something way different. Whereas uh, you have these other artists that are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, just tell me, just tell me exactly what you want and I'll draw it. And yeah. so it's just, just people work differently, you know, and, and, um, you know, those are the worksmen. Those are the guys that are like, Hey, this is a paycheck. I, my job is to finish these pages as fast as possible. So if you want me to draw this angle, I'm going to draw this angle and, and there's no qualms about yeah, it. They exactly, like doing that way. Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I mean, that makes sense. In fact, now that I remember, um, I think it only took one issue for Rory to ask, can I have a little bit more freedom here? Right. And so with each passing issue, he got more freedom. And again, by the, by the fourth issue, maybe it was just like, dude, just go crazy. (laughs) Right. Like whatever you (laughs) want. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you, you develop a a relationship, a chemistry with your, your, the, you know, the artist to the writer and uh, you guys trust each other. You know, if you, if you give them the free reign and, and they start screwing up and they're not giving you what they want and then you pull it back. But, you know, if you believe in them and they show you that they can do it. Yeah. Why not? 
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I remember getting a lot of stuff back from Rory where I'd be like, you know, this isn't the picture I had in my head when I wrote this, but it's better. And that's a good thing. Yeah. That's a good thing. Yeah. That's what Ed would tell me. He goes, I saw this sequence in a completely different way. He's like, it's so cool seeing how you interpret stuff that I'm seeing in my head. It looks completely different, but it, it, it's, it's awesome. So it's, yeah. it's a good feeling. And it, and it kind of, it kind of makes me wish I knew he knew how to draw so I can see what he thought the pages look like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I, I'm, I'm, Hey, here comes the star Wars reference kids. Um, <laughs> I saw, Let me take my, in- hold on. I didn't get my shot ready. Yeah, you get get your shot ready. We, it, it took uh, looks like it took about thirty two minutes this time. I believe it's in some kind of bonus scene in whatever the second one of the new trilogy is. Rise of Skywalker. No, wait, that's the third one. Re- the Last, Last Jedi. Jedi. Last Jedi. In Last Jedi, there's a thing at the end. I love the way you say Last Jedi. By the way, you said it like it's like with you're disdain most and hated. hatred. I adore that film. So we're so we're awful. gonna have to. We're going to have, oh, dude, it's amazing. It's the only good film of the trilogy. It's the no, only it's good terrible. one. Yeah, it's the only terrible one. We're going to have to have a smackdown on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and by only about. terrible, you mean only good. <laughs> right? No, no, no. Anyway. Um, it's awful. But yeah, there, there's a cool part where like they showed the kind of stuff that Ryan Johnson was doing and like he has enough artistic chops to like draw stuff. And I was like, man, I wish I wish I had some level of artistic chops like that. I think it would be so cool to be able to visualize just a basic thing of of what to do, you know. But oh, is that uh, right? Did they was there like a behind the scenes thing or something? Yeah, totally, totally. There's a really cool behind the scenes thing for I don't know. It's like 15 minutes or something on like that okay. on the on the Blu-ray. Yeah, man, it's pretty. Is nifty. the um is the first five minutes him just shitting on J.J. Abrams scripts and all of his uh, um, threads he left for him? He's just like no, squatting no. right on you, it, right? If, if by shitting on you mean improving the hot, festering garbage that was Force Awakens, then yes. <laughs> that movie sucked. <laughs> okay, anyway. Um, so yeah, That's cool, I, though. I, I, didn't, I didn't know he knew how to draw, so that, that'll yeah, be interesting. Yeah, I, I, so, I, thought that was, I thought that was pretty nifty. I thought that was pretty nifty. And then, okay. um, and then the final thing to kind of, you know, again, this, this, this week of a, a few little disparate things is that uh, in the spirit of of Kadoja, you know, of me prepping the idea of the third arc being done in a, in a cohesive story, it's actually time for me to sit down and write the music, which I'm pretty excited about. So I've actually been immersing myself, <clears throat> you know, just like listening to some the the previous Kadoja soundtracks, trying to figure out where I'd like to take this soundtrack in terms of direction, because Kadoja is a comic with a soundtrack. And it volume three needs to have one too, you know. I mean, uh, I mentioned before that I think I've, we've done four soundtracks to two arcs or something like that. But uh, you know, music's fun to make. So, uh, so yeah, that's that's where this is going to go. And no matter what I do um, these next couple weeks, I'm going to be cranking through and and starting to get some scratch tracks done and uh, and see where that goes. You know, I, I think there'll be some similarities in this arc soundtrack and, and a few differences. The similarities are going to be uh, the orchestral music that's going to pepper. Mm-hmm. And I think the, 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 my penchant for the, let's just call it funky beats, right. To sound, to sound corny. Um, I love like old vintage sounding drums and the, the funk sound. Cause that's what big pimp Jones, my band um, does. Right. So, uh, so I'll be, I'll be messing around with that. 
And uh, but I think the thing that's going to be different is there's going to be a little bit more of an electronic presence in this arc. I, I did okay. mess with that um, on All the right. previous uh, on a little previous mini soundtrack we did. And I want to explore that a little bit more. And, you know, this this goes to a to an adage sometimes, um, you know, I, I know it exists in writing and it probably exists everywhere. It's it's you go where the heat is. Right. And the the place in my you right where the heat is. The heat right now is in me messing around with electronic stuff, so I don't want to ignore that. So mm-hmm. it might just be a little bit of, of seasoning. I don't know, but uh, but we'll kind of see what happens. I, I can't wait to experiment with it and see where it goes and, and see how it factors in. That's pretty cool. That's uh, It's like the evolution of Kadoja through the art and the arcs, as well as the music. That's That's really cool to think about in general. Yeah, thanks, man. I mean, again, it's it's fun to it's fun to do because to your point, I, I do want there to be an evolution. There's definitely an evolution of story in this one, which is the horror starts to get dialed in mm. more. And I expect that the fourth and final arc of Kadoja sometime in the future will will kind of culminate that that horror element, which again is getting dialed up more and more by the arc. Okay, so are you going to dial in some ominous ominous tones as well? to uh, capture the vibe so all i know is ominous all i like is ominous i mean the first the <laughs> right. first couple soundtracks are super ominous is um, this going to be more ominous it's going to be digitally ominous okay. <laughs> it's okay. going to be yeah it, it's just going to it's just it, it's going to stay in the same in, in fact i think the opposite's going to end up being true just because when i what i like doing is i like you mentioned before that Stan Lee and Jack Kirby have this process where Stan Lee gets back the panels and then he writes the dialogue or wrote the dialogue, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. In my case, the music, I like it to come after I get the finished panels because that helps put me in the vibe of, I'm almost trying to score it, right? That's that's the yeah, goal, I was That's what I was objective. going to say. It, it reminds me of a, a scene from Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Have you ever seen that movie? With Jason uh, Segel. Forgetting Sarah Marshall. No, uh, J- no, Jason Siegel and Kristen Bell, and uh, uh, so he works on a. I think it's like a. It's a TV show. It might be a a detective type show or whatever. So he does the score for it, and he goes, "I'm not even a musician anymore. I just I do ominous tones." And so it's him. His his girlfriend just broke up with him. He's back at work. He's destroyed over it and he's watching this scene and just putting these ominous tones over the scene and he's just so defeated he starts playing like muppets music and stuff and just and like seinfeld (laughs) just because he's so so pissed off with it but yeah so anyway uh when you get back the scenes uh the panels it's like reminds me of jason siegel watching the scenes and like okay what's this scene and he's doing yeah. the ominous tones initially and i'm like oh that's how they do it I've, I've never thought about it cool cool peek behind the curtain i hear you i hear you and and on a random uh, connection to that i remember i remember the 1989 batman film that there was an interview i think it was that tim burton did and it was mm-hmm. about how prince wrote the music right and uh we're both big prince fans mm-hmm. and uh and I, I and again anything i think about prince i just immediately think of that low voice that either prince himself did or that dave Chappelle did as yeah. as prince <laughs> right but uh but right. it was something like you know prince walked on the set and would just be like i just felt the music 
you know, like, or, or whatever, whatever typical weird princeism he would do. God, I love Prince so much, man. But, uh, but anyway, so yeah, it's, it's very much like that without, without the, without bat dance, I suppose. Yeah. Or uh, fluffy collars. Well, who knows? Yeah. I don't know what you wear when you're doing your music. I like the Batman soundtrack. I think, I think the song bat dance is bad, but I think a lot of other songs on the Batman soundtrack are quite good. And, um, and before Prince passed away, you could find the Batman soundtrack in like damn near every dollar bin in the country of every record store, you know, then, then he passed away and that created a big run on a lot of his vinyl. Um, so you just can't find that anymore. You can probably buy yeah. it on a repress for like $37 or something like that. But, uh, but yeah, man, yeah, you know, that's, that that's crazy. A, it is. I mean, you know, I, I, if the audience doesn't know this. You obviously do that. I did a hunt. You co-did 175 episodes of a podcast called the vinyl exam that was uh, focused on record collecting. And <clears throat> it has been insane to see the way that record collecting has exploded to the point where there aren't, there aren't many secondhand records anymore. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, the, they just they they are in houses and not in record stores anymore because I think I have this stat right. The number of people who collect records now is a thirteen fold increase from like two thousand five. Oh, you can on Walmart on Black Friday, one of their deals was a new record player. You could buy mm-hmm. a new record player. So it's like, okay, Walmart's carrying record players again. I th- yeah. I think, you know, we, we might have jumped the shark here. Um yeah. so you you said you uh, initially started um, investing in records because they were cheap at the time. Uh, people weren't into them. And now that people were, you're going to zig when they're zagging. And you started collecting CDs. Is that still the case? Yeah, man. I mean, you, you have it dead on. The only the only slight amendment I'm going to make to that is I never stopped collecting records. Right. Like, oh, OK. OK. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I, I thought you might have stopped because you're like, they're not cheap anymore. So, yeah, that's yeah. Oh, the whole yeah, reason you got not, into it because it was no, cheap. You, you make a great point. You make a great point. So I did. I have stopped. I, I'm not going to say I've stopped collecting records recently, but I have given up a lot of hope on finding good secondhand records recently, because, again, okay. like you've so well paraphrased. Um, records were where the value was. Records were especially the value in the 90s when everyone was unloading their records for CDs, right? And records continued to be the value through the 2000s when everybody either bought CDs or got rid of their CDs and got MP3s or stole stuff on Napster or did whatever they did, right? Mm-hmm. And then the record explosion happened again. The love of analog happened again and records stopped being the value. So yes, to your point, I... I even mess with cassette tapes, but cassette tapes aren't the value anymore either because they're kind of cool and they're kind of tactile and they're kind of collectible. So yeah, okay. CDs are the value. No, nobody cares about CDs. They seem to be universally hated, right? But um, but there's a lot of value there, and the reason there's value there is because since 1990, I don't know three, right? Absolutely everything has come out on CD. What I see a lot, especially in the extreme metal music community, but in a lot of other subgenres too, is that because none of these bands put stuff out on record from like 1993 to now, they're doing it now. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. all these bands are going back and reissuing goddamn everything on vinyl and that's fine. It's just, I can get the CD for $2.99 or the vinyl for $33. You know what I mean? Like. 
like, what would you do? You know, like, I, I like the vinyl, but do I like it 15 times as much? It's kind of crazy. Yeah, I, I would just check Apple Music. Um, <laughs> yeah. And if they if they didn't have it there, then yeah, I'm with you. I would go the, the CD route for sure. I actually bought The Weeknd's last album on CD. I, mm. I, liked, I liked it so much. Uh, well, the stuff that I had heard that, and this was before I had Apple Music, I was like, I'm going to buy that CD. I found it for, I think, nine bucks brand new online, and uh, I got that. So, uh, yeah, my car still has a CD player, so boom. Hell yeah. Yeah, and and, and no, to your point, too, it, it's it's more of the used game is when I talk about all this stuff, right? Like, I, I do still buy some records, but they're almost all new releases, right? Like, some mm-hmm. band comes out with a record and I'm just like, yeah, cool. I'll buy that on record. You know, record record is like my my highest uh, appraisal of an album's value, right? If I actually want it on vinyl, it's like, yeah, yeah. man, that's 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 uh, climb the mountain, right? Where with CDs, it can be like I'll go to a record store and just look for where the value is, and more often than not, I walk out with a little small stack of CDs because the whole stack cost me ten dollars. <laughs> I'm like that with uh, Blu-rays now. And yeah. and it's so weird because that's one of the newest methods of, of watching movies and whatnot. Um, but, you know, if, if I can get it streamed, then I do it streamed. If I really like the movie, then I'll actually get it on Blu-ray. Um, I think I own three different versions of the Planet of the Apes. Like, I think I have the DVDs, uh, the I guess two, the DVDs, the Blu-rays. Oh, and I have them digitally as well. So mm. um, if, I, if I like something enough, I'm, I'm going to get it in um, a lot of different ways. I hear you, man. I, I'm, I, I struggle with how many versions of, of some Godzilla films I have. <laughs> Quite a few. <laughs> Three minimum. Let's just go with So yeah, nice. man. I hear you. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying not to do that with books as well. Like, I like these Ultimate Editions. They're like hard covers that collect a comic series, usually about 10 to 12 issues per um, per hardcover. But then they have those com- those compendiums and those absolute editions. And it's just like, no, 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 let's let's not go down that rabbit hole. We don't need to do this. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah, I have I, I have those for my uh, fear agent, but but I'm not doing them after after that. I'm like, no, no, no. Let's stick with these. These ultimate editions are way better. Word up, word up. Well, uh, well, look at us, man. We have we have run really on, but uh, but that was dope. So why don't we go ahead and wrap this up and uh, and, and yeah, call man. it a day? Yeah. Social media. Um, I'm on Instagram at Keith underscore Decibel for just me and Kadoja Kaiju, which is all one word for Kadoja. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Scott Lost. That's S C O T T L O S T and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. And in terms of websites, I review horror at probingthedepths.com and you can find Kadoja at 215inc.com slash Kadoja. And you can check Kadoja's store on Store Envy and get Oh, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can. Action. There you go. Action. Suspense. Evil. I nailed it. (laughs) Yeah, you did. You did. You did. Hey man, should should we talk about our books a little bit right here? Like, should you what's what's Kadoja about? Does like does the audience have we covered this? Does the audience know that Kadoja is a government made kaiju uh, created to fight kaiju? Do they know this? You have just anticipated what I think a upcoming episode should be. So okay, 
I will probably keep this in just for the hell of it or edit it yeah, out, man. but I think we should make that a whole episode at some point or a bonus episode. So go ahead and jump uh, on in and then I'll decide what to do come editing time. Well, I think so because I think I crushed it right there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you could find my books, uh, The Second Shift, A Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day, Heroes at Night, and Wanderers of Melisanda, Humans vs. Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs, at accidentalaliens.com, as well as other accidental alien titles. Rock and roll. Until next time, man. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to another episode of Making Comics, and we'll see you next time. Yakasha. Yeah,